Well, good morning, my friends. I'm so glad you could be with me today for our Wednesdays in the Word. We're in the midst of an extended study of the book of Romans. We're now in the second chapter of the book of Romans. I want to pick up our reading today in chapter 2, beginning in verse 12, and reading on through verse 16. For all who have sinned without the law will also perish without the law, and all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. For it is not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but the doers of the law who will be justified. For when the Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do what the law requires, they're a law to themselves, even though they don't have the law. They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts, while their conscience also bears witness then their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them on that day when, according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men by the Lord Jesus Christ. As you know, if you've been with me for a while, as we've been working our way in the book of Romans study, we've been discovering since the midpoint of the first chapter what I'll call the universality of sin how all people have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Therefore, all people of all eras of history understand they are not who God called them to be. And all people, therefore, need to find a solution to their sin. To put it another way, all people need the gospel. Back in Romans 1, 16, Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes. We all need that gospel. All need to find a solution to their sin. There's not a person alive or a person who has been alive who has not in their heart and in their actions broken the greatest of the commandments, which Jesus detailed for us is Loving the Lord our God with all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our mind, all of our strength. I mean, who could possibly say that truly has been done in their life? Beyond that, who could possibly say that they have not stumbled, they have not sinned, they have not broken some of the moral laws and ethical laws of life? All people are sinners. And therefore, all people need what only God can offer them through the cross, through the gospel. Why is that necessary? Because of the very nature of God. As we've seen, God is both loving, but he is also holy, he is also righteous, he is also just. (laughs) Many of his attributes, he can't stop being some of what he is because other parts of who he is are reaching out to us. He loves us, yet he is righteous and holy, and sin cannot dwell in his presence. Then he is just in sin, opposition to him, and breaking of his law requires response. It requires judgment. We saw beginning with, uh, with Adam and Eve in the garden, one sin was enough to change the condition of a person from being righteous to unrighteous and to change the relationship between a person and God. No longer could Adam and Eve stay in the garden. A necessary solution to sin needed to be found. A solution prefigured in the 
Garden of Eden by the sacrifice of the animal, which eventually prefigures the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, God doesn't mark on a curve. All of us are either righteous or unrighteous. There's no partiality with God, which we've spent time developing. Now today, building on some of that foundation, looking at these verses together, we're going to be addressing that question that's raised by people, uh, perhaps in conversation with you, but everyone would have it coming up in their minds whether they voiced it or not. The question of, well, what about people who've never heard of this gospel, this gospel that's the power of God unto salvation? What about those people? Are they also separated from God? Are they also facing a destiny of judgment before the God who is really there? What about those people who have never heard? Well, let's begin to examine God's answer because we encounter it here in verses 12 to 16 of chapter 2 of the book of Romans. Let's begin as the passage begins in verses 12 and 13 in this way. It is not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but the doers of the law who will be justified. Here's the core fact upon which we build our lives, upon which we understand the nature of relationship with God. And that is, the only way to be declared righteous by God, and by declared righteous we're talking about that Revelation 20 day of judgment, where we must stand and account before God. The only way to be declared righteous in that day is to perfectly keep the law. Remember, you're either a sinner or not a sinner. You're either righteous or not righteous. There can be degrees of being unrighteous, degrees of being sinners, but there's an absolute distinction between being perfect or a sinner, being right or not right. Only people who will be declared righteous by God are those who have kept the law perfectly. And that being declared righteous by God is what the Bible then describes for us as being justified in God's eyes. Now that word justified we're going to encounter a lot in the upcoming chapters as God develops the rich theme around what it means to be justified in the sight of God. But for now, setting the stage for what is to come, let me just make a couple of comments about being justified, being declared righteous by God in that day when we stand before him. Number one, if we've been justified, it means that we pass out of judgment. We, don't, we are no longer facing the consequences of the judgment of God. To be justified means that we now have a right relationship with God, a restored relationship with God, rather than a distanced relationship with God. Remember, sin cannot dwell in the presence of the Lord. It means that we now have a right relationship with God. And certainly, ultimately, to be justified, to be declared righteous by God, means that we have a future and a hope. We have a future to live with him in heaven, a future of joy a future of glory and honor and peace, as we saw in the preceding verses. That is ours. That's what justified means. Well, God tells us to be justified, to be declared righteous, is the only way to have that future. It is only the doers of the law. 
the ones who keep the law, who will be justified. Everyone who ever lived, those with the law and those who do not have the written law with them, must ultimately stand before that judgment seat of God. And that judgment seat, as we've studied already in Revelation 20, will show that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. But in that time, getting back to our core question, what if someone hasn't heard about the word, hasn't heard about the gospel, hasn't heard about the fact that they are sinners and that sin matters, and that sin is puts us in an accountability place before God? What about such people? Are they still facing this judgment that that the book of Romans is talking about? And the answer is, in this passage, yes, they are still accountable before God. And people say, well, how can that be? Well, good question. And that's why God goes at length now to try to give an answer to us, provide perspective on this fundamental issue. Why is one still accountable, even if they've not heard the gospel, even if they've not received the written law of God. Well, let's look at it. God says that all people, those who've received his written law, those who haven't, all people have an inner law that God has written on their hearts. Notice how he puts it in verse 14. When the Gentiles who do not have the law by nature, do what the law requires or a law to themselves. Even though they don't have the law, they show that the work of the law is written on their hearts, on their conscience. The law of God has been written on the hearts of all people. At least the foundational principles have been written upon their heart. Now, how did that happen? Because no one is here unless God created them. <laughs> and in the creation taking place within the conception in the womb and the development of the child, God imprints his righteous law deep within them. All know something of God's ways, something of God's holiness, something of God's righteousness, even when they don't have the formal written scriptures to give us more details about it. There's another, in other words, there's another way to understand the law than to have read about or been taught the law by someone else. It is that God writes upon our hearts that law. He has placed at least some of the foundational standards of life and his standards within the heart of everyone. And he's done that by creating all people with a conscience. A conscience, which is the word being used here, is like a moral compass within humanity. It's part of what it means to be created in the image of God. It's part of the outgrowth of God's action within the life of every individual. The core, let's put it this way, the core of the Ten Commandments, if not the details of each, but the core of the Ten Commandments is stamped within the heart of every person. The result of that is that every person knows what is right, at least fundamentally. And, by the way, every person refuses to do it with consistency. <laughs> Therein is the problem. Just like those with the law 
know the law and refuse to do it consistently, so also those without the law know their conscience, God's work written within them, and they refuse to do it consistently as well. <laughs> conscience within the human condition is more than something programmed into people by their culture or by their family. Although certainly our conscience can be influenced by our culture and by our family and by our education as well. But conscience is more than that. Conscience is much more innate and fundamental to the human condition because God creates it within each person. And God uses that conscience to provide a guidance to the behavior of people. Uh, one of the theologians put it, it provides a guidance by guilt. And I think that's a good way to frame it. Uh, our conscience guides us by guilt. All mankind from all eras of history and from all cultures has a guidance by guilt operating within them. The conscience within the human condition functions like a law for those who don't have the written law. That conscience speaks to the heart and impacts upon it. In fact, the guilt produced by breaking God's law through our conscience is a guilt that is universal. And one of the great quests of mankind is to somehow get rid of guilt because everybody feels it to differing degrees. Our inner conscience, given God's plan, actually bears witness within us. That's the terminology used. It's bearing witness within us. What does that mean? That means our conscience is working out within us conflicting thoughts. At times, that conscience accuses us. At times, it excuses us. The inner life of the human being is presented in these verses in Romans as being like a debating forum. <laughs> Inside the heart, there's a debate going on about what to do or about how to respond to something we've already done. And that debate is marked by two sides. One side is saying, that's okay, it's excused. The other side is saying, that's not okay, it's accused. So we're, being, we're moving back and forth in this debating system within the human heart between feeling guilty or not feeling guilty. All human beings have that going on. Now, some people have a distortion of that going on. Maybe they are so, totally uh, so guilt-ridden with things that come from conscience and also from culture that they can't face that guilt. That can certainly happen. But God's talking about a general response to humanity, and he's saying all people have this debating forum within where guilt is the core issue, and the conscience fosters it. And as a result, as verse 12 put it here for us, all who sinned without the law also perish without the law, and all who sin under the law are judged by the law. <laughs> they perish even without the law. Now, why is that? Because people knowingly, those without the law now, that's our focus, they knowingly break their conscience with the same regularity that those who've been given the law break the law. There's a commonality in the human experience. All are opposed 
to keeping God's dictates. Without the law, as this passage puts it, people do by nature what the law requires. It means they're inclined, they understand at least at some level in that debate forum, what God wants and what they should be doing. And if you look upon society in general, no matter where you go in this world, and, and if you seek to understand something of human society over time, all societies are running, or at least trying to run, by some sort of moral framework. Now, most of the moral frameworks of societies are pretty faulty, but the very fact that they exist draws your attention to something. Why would they exist? Why would it matter? Because something in the human condition requires it, desires it. Moral frames. All societies in the era that we're in now or in any era of history have tended to condemn murder, tended to condemn stealing, have tended to condemn adultery and unfaithfulness in human relationships. <laughs> All societies. Why? Because of the way God created us. Guilt and shame are as real in places where the word of God has never been proclaimed as they are in places where the word of God has been proclaimed. Brothers and sisters, what that means is it's not the proclaiming of the word only that produces guilt. As if you could somehow get rid of people reading the Bible or talking about the Bible, we wouldn't feel guilty anymore. No, that's not the human condition. God says even in the absence of the word, there's a debate forum going on in the human condition because of the way God created us. And it's a debate forum no one can escape from. We all must confront it. And in that debate forum, the truth of the matter is, as these verses make clear to us, all people fail the dictates of their conscience. They fail to differing degrees, but they all fail. Just like we, having the word, fail to keep it. We differ from one another in how terrible our failures become, but we don't differ in the fact that we fail and stumble. And as a result, whether somebody has the word or whether they only have their conscience, all feel true guilt. True guilt because of failure. And an intuitive sense that that failure is not just some, some isolated within their own life, but a failure having to do with the fact that this is an open system and there's a God who's really there. And we have a failure before him that must be accounted for. All people intuitively have that understanding. And as Psalm 14.1 puts it, only a fool says in their heart there's no God. Only a fool denies that intuitive sense of both God's presence and also God's truth and also their own moral failings. Only a fool denies the foundational truth of their guilt. Now, in verse 12, he says, All who have sinned without the law will perish without the law. Now we're getting back to that original question. What about those who've never heard? All who sin apart from the law perish apart from the law. They perish due to sin. They don't perish because of a lack of exposure to the scripture. They don't perish because of a lack of exposure to the gospel. 
they perish because they are true moral sinners and framed before God in that sin. They have no escape from it. No one is sinless before the holy God who is really there. If they, even using just their conscience as the source of data for the trial, so to speak, they still sin and perish because they fall short even of their conscience and they have true moral guilt as a consequence. And that's why everyone needs the gospel. The human stumbling into sin and rebellion against God is evidenced with those who know the word's requirements and refuse to carry them out or are unable to carry them out perfectly. And it also exists for those who don't have the word, but their own conscience puts an obstacle before them premise before them that they can't live up to. We all need the gospel. Everyone who has ever lived will fall short in God's judgment. Notice in verse 16 is the way he puts it. On that day, when according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men by the Lord Jesus Christ. <laughs> in Romans chapter 3, verse 23, and we'll be getting to that as we press forward in our study, God summarizes these points that we've been encountering since the middle point of the first chapter by this statement, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. <laughs> all have come short, those with the law and those without the law. All fall short of the core requirements for relationship with God. And these are not arbitrary requirements. These are requirements built in the outgrowth of the very nature of the God who is really there. Those with the law stand guilty of rebelling against that law and therefore sinning. Those without the law stand guilty of rebelling against that God-given conscience and therefore separated from God as a result. All are sinners before the, God, the Lord who is really there. All must answer for it. And yes, so, so you see the great equalizing that's occurring here. No one is separated from God because of what they've heard or not heard. People are separated from God by the very nature of sin itself. If a human being has sinned and rebelled against God's perfect law, either what's been written in the scriptures or written on their hearts, they now are separated from God because that's the nature of what sin does. Sin separates us from God. It must be addressed. It must be resolved. It must be paid for. All people, those who have the law, those who don't have the law, stand on this great equalizing plane of having been separated from God because of their failure in sin. All need God to do something. <coughs> Judgment Day, we were talking about that Revelations 20 passage in our last time together. In Revelation 20, verses 11 to 15, talking about the great white throne judgment of God, that day will demonstrate conclusively to all people of all of history the truth of universal sinfulness. It is the day when, according to verse 16 here in Romans 2, God will judge the secrets of men. And brothers and sisters, who could face that sort of scrutiny? 
when God judges the secrets of men. God will make plain in that day how we've responded to our conscience. He will make plain in that day how we've responded to the written law. And he will make plain in that day how we've responded to that gospel that we've understood if we've been exposed to it. He will make plain in that day what is secret. In other words, not only what we've done, but what we've thought. What, what we intended to see as an outcome. Why we did what we did. <laughs> it will be a clear demonstration of all such truth. Who could face that scrutiny? And therefore, all of us would need to come before God and say, Oh Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. And so the critical question becomes, how in fact can God be merciful to me, a sinner? And therein is the justification for the gospel. Because as Romans 1.16 told us, Paul is not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes. God has done something to enable people to face that day. And that something is the gospel, the sending of his son into this world. In fact, he goes so far here as to say, on that day, when according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. On that day, God will be judging us at the great white throne by the Lord Jesus Christ himself. You see the irony here. The one who is the one who can save is also the one who will be in that judgment, judging us. That's why what we do with Jesus is the most important thing of life. What our response to Jesus is all about is the most important decision one can make. What do we do with God's solution to the unsolvable problem all people face who have the law or don't have the law. And that is true moral guilt because all are sinners. And the true dilemma of separation from God and judgment because they are sinners and not righteous. What we do with Jesus will make all the difference in that context. Think of how it puts it in John chapter 5, verse 24. Truly, truly, I say to you, Whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but is passed from judgment into life. That's Jesus' promise to us. There is a way to pass from judgment into life. One way to have that happen is by perfection. None of us have that option anymore. But there's another way. And that is through the perfect life of the Lord Jesus Christ, credited to us as we respond to the gospel in repentance and faith. This is the same point in Acts chapter 17 that Paul was making as he was speaking the gospel on, at Athens on Mars Hill among the philosophers of the day. Listen to these verses beginning in verse 30 of Acts chapter 17. The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. Because he's fixed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he has appointed. And of this he has given us all assurance by raising him from the dead. The resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ becomes the assurance to all of us of the reality of Revelation 20, great white throne judgment and human accountability before God. 
And God commands all people everywhere, therefore, to repent of their sin and rebellion and in humility turn to the Lord Jesus Christ and rest in what he has done for them. And therein is my challenge to you to conclude our study today. Are you resting in Christ's righteousness or are you resting in your own relative righteousness? What are you resting in when you're facing and going to be facing the inevitability of this day of judgment? God has fixed a day for that day of judgment. Revelation 20 will happen. As Hebrews 9, 27 and 28 says, it's appointed unto man once to die, and after that to face judgment. What are you resting in and trusting in in that day? Brothers and sisters, don't trust in your ignorance of the gospel. Don't trust in the fact that somehow you never heard the written law. God's written his law in your very heart, enough to know that you are a sinner. Turn to Jesus and realize there's no solution apart from him. Next time, we'll continue now in our study of Romans, and we'll move forward to another question that is raised. Well, why isn't being religious enough? Because if people understand that they are sinners and stumble, can't they somehow pay for that by religious action? Great question, and God gives us a good answer to it, all of which points us back again to the wonder of the gospel. Join me then, won't you, as we continue our study of the book of Romans. God bless.